Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Tales from the Crew with our very special guest, Adam Bush. Some of you may know him from uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Others may know him from Men at Work. And you can now see him in Altered Corbin. Altered Carbon. I always have trouble with my A's. How you doing, Adam? <laughs> no, Altered Corbin, Corbin is the... What's his name? John Corbin? John Corbin? Yeah. Is that the actor? Yeah. It's a show about his life and how it changed since how, he... How things have altered. <laughs> yes, since the operation. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here in the unspoiled suburban sprawl of Old Town Calabasas. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to have you. And uh, I really uh, appreciate you coming on the show. I mean... You know, initially in conceiving the show, it was designed around the idea of bringing in crew members to sort of talk about their experiences and uh, their stories on set and give some of the viewers kind of an insight or listeners some insight on what it's like to, you know, be in a film set. And uh, you responded to me online saying actors are crew also. And I really appreciate the uh, not only getting a hold of me, but... Uh, you know, coming on the show and really talking about um, actors on set and what it's like for actors to be part of the crew. Yeah, I mean, it's not because I feel like actors don't have enough voice out there. I feel like um, they're certainly represented fairly on enough podcasts. <laughs> I think we need another one just for that. But in terms of crew, I feel really strongly that actors are a part of the crew like everyone else. And it feels like very often they get separated or put into a different category or just isolated or just they're not a part of that family and I just wanted to reiterate that I really believe that they are and it shouldn't be like that and hopefully my presence here on this podcast can help bridge that gap. Well yeah let's let's talk about that because you know when you know I'm working on a, a project usually with crew you know they're hired and then we have a maybe a coffee and a meeting and we talk about how much we can spend in that department and you know uh, we have production meetings where we all get together and kind of talk about, um, you know, collaborating together in terms of defining roles and workload and blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, actors come on set and they're usually not coming in at the crew call. They're usually called in specifically on a call time. And so by the time the actor is on set, you know, we're already kind of through breakfast and working together and then... You know, an actor will come on and just either go straight to the trailer or straight to makeup. And um, there's usually not much interaction outside of maybe one to two people. And then you're in front of the camera. Um, what's that What's that like? I mean, is it something where when you're showing on set, showing up on set, is it something where you feel like uh, you'd want to spend more time kind of be part of that the process of... Filmmaking? I think it's that. I think it's what you just said in terms of process. I think um, every job on set, there's some sort of process that goes into how they pull it off in terms of props or camera. And there's a skill level, and they've proven their skill level over time, and so there's trust involved. And when it comes to actors, there just seems to be this um, belief in magic. That what they do is not a process, there is no method to it, it's just magic or just casting people to be themselves. And if they're relaxed, everything will be fine. And it's that separation that I feel creates this distance between them. Because everyone else you can just comfortably talk to and explain what you want. Everyone else, there's a certain trust level that the sound guy's going to capture the sound. And if he doesn't or she doesn't, 
then we're going to know and we're going to fix it. But with actors, it's like, don't say anything, say too much, give them space, give them attention. We don't know. It's a completely separate thing. People don't deal with other departments in the crew like that. It's dealt with pretty um, maturely and intellectually. Whereas with actors, there's this fairy tale thing where it's like, just stay out of their way or we don't know, so we just don't want to get involved, so just leave them alone and keep them separate. I'm, I'm definitely guilty of that <laughs> because, you know, uh, I'm, I'm afraid to go up to actors sometimes, you know, after they've uh, had a shot a scene or shot a take and say, hey, great job. I'm like, I probably shouldn't say that. I don't want to, like, get them out of their rhythm or throw them off. But, but you're right. It's like, you know, if I went to a sound guy and said, hey, Great job, Billy. That was a great take. He'd probably say thanks. Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> and but, so would the actor, I think. I don't think great job is ever intrusive. <laughs> I don't think anybody will not appreciate hearing that. But I think you could tell whether the sound person was in the middle of listening to something and couldn't talk to you or not. I think that's the thing. You don't really know when the actor's rehearsing it. Are they re re reacting, uh, rehearsing in their head? Am I interrupting something going on in their head? Or, well, you'll find you know. out. You don't know if those headphones are on or not. And yeah. you'll find out when you talk to them, if they hear you or not. And it's not a big deal. There shouldn't be some big fear involved. But do you find that's the case on a lot of the film sets you go on where you feel somewhat alienated from the rest of the crew? Oh, very often. Very often. Yeah? Where you're just treated separately or you can tell someone got in trouble for talking to an actor once and now they just won't ever again <laughs> or they said something that the actor was too sensitive about or that somehow created a problem and or somebody just told them one of their superiors don't don't deal with the actors yeah. even if they're friendly just stay out of the way it's best for you and your career to just not be involved I think everyone is so afraid of fucking something up that they just don't talk to actors. Yes, and that is very isolating. And I've actually never seen a case where an actor has been like, why the fuck is this person talking right now? I just ruined everything. Yeah. Now I cannot act. I can't do this. Thank you, asshole AD, for asking if I needed a Diet Coke right now. I, you just ruined my whole process. Never have I seen that happen. But the fear of that happening is so great on film sets. So why is, is it that? like this crazy myth? Why is that? Is it because of one or two instances? I think it's the magic. I think it's yeah. like, you know, we can bring the cameras, we can bring the sound, but it's the magical talent that shows up in front of the camera and makes movie magic and, you know, we're so, it's such a fragile thing. We just, no one wants to affect that and we all want to just like kind of insulate it. And, well, there's and, a bit of magic involved if there is, in every department, right? The way the sun hits the lens, the way the director says the direction, like these are all variables and there's a bit of magic, but it's not crippling to other departments. It's not keeping people separate the way it is with actors. You know what I mean? In a big way. Yeah. In a big way. I mean, you know, it's more comfortable to have the actor like offset than onset. And oh I, yeah. For the, for the crew. Because they're they're worried that what they're saying even around the actor uh -huh. may affect the actor's performance. I mean, I get it. I get that there was like one gaffer one day that every day would tell an actor, you know, oh, you look real good today. Oh, you look real good today. And then one day he just didn't. And that person was insecure about their wardrobe. And when they were talking to the producer, they were like, even John didn't mention how good I look today. And he does every day. And they're like, who the fuck is John? Get him in here right now. And John's like... 
what did I do? Oh my God, never speak to the actors ever again. Just don't say anything, just stay out of their way. And it's too much of an adjustment. Do you know what I mean? We're all in it together. We all have a special skill. We all need a little bit of space and a little bit of attention. And I think it's easily navigated. And I think, let's put it this way. I've been in positions where sometimes the bigger the production, the harder it is to just find some water while you're shooting. Because craft service might be like this endless olive garden buffet of anything you want, but it's two miles away. And there's no waters on set. And if you're in a location or at a desk and there's cameras very close to you, sometimes you have to stay in between takes because you getting out of this position is going to take a long time and a lot of work, so just stay. No problem with that. But after multiple takes, sometimes you just need some water because your voice gets dry. And then that request for water becomes like, what? Like, who's going to get it? And when? And what did they want? And imagine if And how is that going to affect the time to getting the next shot off? Exactly. And no one was prepared for it. And there's a thing that an AD will do before you shoot or before you cut anything, which is, is sound ready? Is wardrobe ready? Is everyone ready? Is light ready? Is the camera ready? Go. If the actor were to step up in the middle of that process, are we ready? Sound speed, rolling in. Hold on, can I get some water? Everyone would stop and turn around. They'd be frustrated. You, you, there's no space for that built into this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's a moment before we uh, wrap a scene where everyone has to stay where they are and not move as we check the gate which is for a microscopic hair that might be on the lens. And no one's allowed to move until we know that there hasn't been a tiny little hair on the lens that's going to ruin the shot. I would say you could at least put as much care into the voice speaking the lines as the hair on the lens. So if it's not weird to go, hold on, checking the gate, and everyone freeze and don't move, then the idea of like, can we just get some water? Shouldn't shut down production. No, absolutely not. And, you know, that, that brings up... Um, an interesting point, too, in this conversation, um, you know, with, uh, with time on set, you know, there's a, a process involved where, you know, we'll block the shot, we'll, you know, test the lighting by, you know, pointing the camera into frame once everything's set, we'll bring in a second team unit, or, you know, uh, we'll bring in the A-team cast to, to kind of block it out. And then that's it. Then we're shooting. But there's not much of a rehearsal time with actors. It's kind of like, all right, great, we're all set up. Let's bring the actors in. Let's shoot this thing. And, you know, if the actor has a question, it's like, oh, Exactly. God, my God. Exactly. <laughs> oh, they're holding everything up. They're supposed to just. And I, I, I hear myself as I'm saying all this, and I know I can't believe I'm like this guy complaining about water on a set like I must sound like such a spoiled diva and I understand that there are a lot of spoiled divas that have made these requests like unimaginable unless you shut them all down as soon as they come up because certain people can take too much but I just want to stress that when you're on a set like that and you're handed that water you take a sip of it and you either hand it back or you put it down and someone takes it because you're on set everything's being shot so you then once you do the scene, if you want another sip of water, you have to ask someone for it. And there's no one really set to do that. And they don't always know what's happening. And this is how things like in Game of Thrones, when there's a water, a bottle of water, in the scene that people are finding, I think that goes to show you how important it is to the actor and how difficult it is to maintain this process. Because we're kept so separate. Yeah, I mean, you know, every department is very definable except for... 
actors. Yep. You know, there's not like a key talent. I guess you know, there's there's the star, there's co-stars, but you know, each department has the department head, and then a director underneath it, and then seconds and first and PAs. And with talent, you just kind of show up, and it's unless you communicate. You know, hey, I need a bottle of water. Hey, I need sides. Hey, uh, what time's lunch? Yeah. You know, who do you go to? And then you have a second AT who's usually. Uh, on at base camp, doing more important stuff, doing more important things like you know uh, handling the next day or whatever. But there's really not a point of contact for an actor to you know have no. a go-to conversation. I mean, a lot of times with the water, it's like uh, uh, the makeup the uh, artist, and that's not their job, and that's not their job to provide water. No, it's not. But it's your only point of contact. Sometimes, sometimes because it. it dovetails into their desire to keep your skin clean and your lips, you know, not chapped. They'll have water and a straw there for you, but that's not, that's them just looking out for their own work, which they should be. It's not for us. It's not to keep us hydrated. It's not because our throats getting dry is considered on par with hair being on a lens. And I think it's all the same and it should all be treated the same. And what we do is a craft and a skill. You can go to school, you can learn, you can take direction, you can do different things. There might be a spark, but it's not magic. So, uh, rewind me back to, let's let's talk about your general process with, you know, you get a new script, um, whether it be a, a big TV show, an indie film, you get the script, you can sort of identify with the character, and do you... Uh, Get a chance to rehearse with the director. Uh, what's you know what's the usual protocol with uh, you know your from getting the script to you know being on set? Is I it do a lot of television, and with television there seems to not really be a rehearsal process. Also, with a lot of independent film, a lot of web stuff, there doesn't really seem to be an emphasis put on the rehearsal process. And if there is a rehearsal process, it's really not for the content of the scene, it's for the logistics of where you're standing, where you're walking, where the sun is, where the camera is, where the water is, all that stuff. Got it. So again, it's back to production. It's like, place the actor here, put yeah. the camera there, but it's not And much. if at this point, like you said, if you have a question about what's happening, or maybe it's a show about aliens, and you have to say a word that you've never heard out loud before, and is a brand new word, and you can say it incorrectly, and there's... Because you don't know how to say it. No one told you when you assumed it was one way. It turns out it was another way. How would you know it's an alien language? No, there's no <laughs> rehearsal. No one has explained to you what that sound is and what it's supposed to be. So everything stops. Like, oh, the actor, uh, here's the actual line. Right. And you want to be like, I just ruined a take on something there was absolutely no way for me to prepare for. So let me, let, let me recap this. So, so being an actor, you show up on set, no one talks to you. Yep. You get a script that you don't really review with anyone else, and then you go on and you're expected to just make the magic. You're expected to have a chemistry with someone you've never met. Or if it's like comedy, you're expected to dance with a person and you haven't even met them yet. Yeah. This is a fascinating conversation just, you know, because no one really wants to have this conversation. They want to book Adam Bush and be like, we got Adam Bush. And then the next step is, he's on set. Yes, he's on set. Now our investment, or our, you know, our our uh, talent that we have, this is going to be great. We got magic, but we haven't given Adam Bush any of the tools. 
Well, both are true. I mean, that entire scenario we just described will happen. Yeah. That is what happens, you know? But that will happen with anyone. The DP is going to show up with their camera. But that's what I'm saying. In comparison, you know, when, let's use a DP, for example. We'll get the DP They did get a location scout. Then, and then they we go have it. coffee. We talk about looks. We watch mm -hmm. movies together. Then we'll go on a scout. Another scout. Then we'll do a director scout. Then a production meeting. And then we'll, you know... I have a camera test, and there's seven interactions with the DP, and usually that takes place for every department, but the actors. And I, you know, it's not something that I even really thought about until this conversation because that's the process. Mm -hmm. And I think it breeds an insecurity that is very um, palpable and insufferable to other people, and it's unique to that department. There's not like a deep insecurity in the makeup department. They know what they're doing. They're very good at it. They've trained at it. They've been practicing it a long time. They're up for anything that's gonna come up. But there is a deep insecurity because sound knows whether they've gotten the scene. But people can go days without saying something to an actor. And you don't have that satisfaction of, oh, it was all clean, it was all good, they got what they wanted. All you ever heard was, moving on. And you do have to assume moving on means they got what they wanted. They would tell you if they didn't. But you want to know. You, you want to know, know for sure. Sound wants to know that they captured everything. And he has someone there to say, yep, you, we, it was all clean. They have someone there to tell someone if the lens isn't good. People will go days without saying things to actors. And I know that means it's going fine, but it's also you want to feel like you are an alien with special skills, like your passport says. You want to feel like they got it all clean. They got what they wanted. Yeah, Moving on. yeah. Well, you know, uh, the whole other half of the crew, we're all behind the monitor. Yeah. You're like, wow, this is this is awesome. But it's never conveyed to the actor. Oh, it's no. just like... An actor tries something new, and they cut it and ask you to do it again, and you assume it's because of this new thing you tried because nobody says anything. It turns out it had to do with a sun flare. It had nothing to do with you. But you don't know. You're isolated. You're not a part of this family. You're already insecure about it. And you just have to do your thing in kind of a bubble. Yeah. And the, all everyone says about a crew is that we're family. Oh, it was such a family. Except the actors who have their own little sub-family at the kids' table where they can all deal with each other only. And that, sh I'm trying to bridge that gap. That shouldn't be the way it is. We should all be together. No one is more or less important. No one deserves any more or less attention. And certainly no one should be isolated. I'd feel like if everyone was brought together more and there was more of a respect for the process of what actors do and less of a belief that it was some kind of magic spell, that we would be able to do that. Yeah. And it would improve everything. Yeah. And I, and I think a, a, a big thing for that is start the conversation before you walk on set or, or, or start the relationship before you walk on set. You know, um, having a rehearsal, I'm sure it must make a tremendous difference with your relationship with the director before getting on a set. Uh, having a table read, just meeting some of the other actors and meeting some of the other key department heads at the table reading probably can help break the ice and uh, because... You know, it's important in other departments that it's like, but it's assumed in the talent department that talent's going to show up, do their thing. But it's uh, it's a really good point you bring up because it's something that's definitely overlooked, you know. It, it's definitely it, more unique to, I will say, to Hollywood and Los Angeles. Interesting. There's a bit more of an understanding and a belief that what you do is some kind of craft in New York or even in Louisiana or Chicago, that what you do is a skill you can go to school for. It's not that different. There there seems to be a bit of a... It's not as bad as here, where it seems like the casting is almost 
exclusively the last part of the process. And everything else is up and running, and then these actors swoop in at the last second with no rehearsal, no time. You auditioned or met about it on a Thursday, and you're shooting it on a Friday. So how much prep are you getting? Like, what are you doing? There was, um, there was an audition that I had a while ago. It was for a pilot for a network sitcom about, I think it's a, a, a priest and a rabbi that are best friends and hang out in a bar. Genius. I got the call on Friday night to come in audition on Saturday morning to play the rabbi. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, and it said in the, in the info of the audition, it said, like, authenticity a must. Meaning we would really like an authentic Jew or rabbi or someone of that ilk. Well, you're casting this on a Friday night for auditions on Saturday morning. Pretty much the only time you cannot get an authentic Jew to go anywhere because they're in temple. Regardless of the fact that why are you choosing to find the star of your network show by giving them sides, a ton of sides, like 15 pages of dialogue, on a Friday night to read Saturday morning? Not to mention that's when temple is, so you're not getting any Jews. Like Authenticity is uh, troubling. I refuse to believe that that's how they found the DP for that show, and that's how they found the... Uh, you know, everyone else and every other thing, there was some, like, why are you handicapping people like that? And I'll also add, as long as I'm just complaining randomly, that <laughs> you would never ask, if, if you're interested in someone to be the DP of your show, you would never say, okay, I saw their reel, I want them to take a camera and bring it to this location on a lot and sit with a bunch of other DPs in a waiting room, and then one by one we're going to bring them in and ask them to shoot with our gear, or with their gear that they brought with them, a random scene, not with the actors from the show, not in the location the show is going to be at, but just to competitively see how they do against one another, and then we'll pick the person who does that the best. Like, as long... If you started explaining this process to a DP, they would say, I'm not coming in. Yeah. Why would I do that? This is not the best way to find the best camera person for your job. Why are you doing that? When Madonna wants a horn section for her tour... She asks, she picks a trumpet player or an MD, and she goes, great, I like you, I like all your songs and your style of horn playing, bring me a horn section. I want these five, six horns. I want a barry, I want a trombone, I want a sax. They don't make every saxophone player in town come in and play a Madonna song, even though they've won Grammys or been on a million songs, and make them sit in a room with all the other sax players and come in one by one and go, da-da, da-da, da-da. Like, they've recorded songs. You can listen to them play. This process would not help you find the best trumpet player or the best horn section for your tour. So why do we do this with actors? Because there's some kind of fairy tale magic involved in this process where we're just going to see someone at some point and they're going to solve all of our problems. And until that, just keep parading them in front of me because they all seem to be willing to do it. Well, I think there's definitely a... Uh process or, or you know traditional um, format to casting and uh, packaging and putting together a movie together you know does that does that process need to be evolved oh a hundred percent you know I think that's the question is like 
that worked, you know, 30 years ago before the internet, right. when you would receive headshots, and you'd say, you know, this is a good headshot, this is a good headshot, this is a good headshot, let's bring these three in, and then maybe, you know, while we're there, maybe put them up against each other and see how they, you know, interact in terms of some dialogue banter. But now with the internet, you have social media accounts, yeah. you have, you know, endless amounts of, like, footage to watch, and you can really make a pretty quick decision, you know, quickly... Uh, when you're casting, you know the the bulk of the the ensemble, and you know, and really the opportunity for that is you should be able to have time to go and have the director meet with the actor, <laughs> and and that would make a huge difference. Uh, just breaking the ice and really understanding the character so that you know when you are on set and someone says, "Here's an you know this alien," we we rewrote it. So he's kind of more of a country, more of an outlier alien. Let's do it that way. And I'm sure it's something, you know, that it's like, all right, I'm expected to just do this by magic right now. I'm turning it into this character in front of these 50 people yeah. before we have to go. Happens it's got to be gruesome. I think what you're pointing out is that, unfortunately, casting directors have become a, a very unnecessary middleman to this process. That is... When you can go online and look for people, you don't need a casting director to present it to you. I, I was a child actor, so I've been doing this long enough to say that it took me like a decade to learn that if I have a meeting with a casting director and it goes well, they're going to say, that was great. I want you to come back and do it for the producers and the director. Here are some notes. A, B, C. We'll see you at this time. It took a decade for me to figure out that I cannot do any of the notes that they told me to do. Because what they told me to do is what they told everyone who's coming in. And basically what they've done is took everything unique and interesting that they liked enough for to call me back, removed it, and replaced it with what everyone else is going to do. And it took so long of going to meet with these producers and directors and then not getting the response that I got earlier in the day and wondering why I did everything I was told. Why? Oh, that's why. And I've not gotten into arguments, but I've found myself frustrated by, especially with comedy, certain casting directors, if you're meeting with them, you know, they might not have the same artistic capacity as the director or the producer who are more creative people. And they'll lock comedy into a very specific thing. And if you try and do something different or interesting, they'll lock you in to how the, the most obvious way the joke should be. I remember one time... I had this back and forth with the casting director because, uh, you know, the character was a dick. I auditioned for a lot. And <laughs> he called the character a loser. And I just thought it was so mean to say it, like, just naturally and very real. Just that, like, oh, you're a loser because you're never going to win. Whatever the line was. Uh -huh. And I remember feeling like that was the meanest way to do it. Just very factually, and I felt like, not everyone maybe will say it like that, so it might be interesting. To me, that was just the most hurtful way to do it. And she immediately was like, no, no, no. When you say loser, you're being mean. So, like, really hit that hard. And she put an L on her forehead. She went, loser? Like, give it something like that. And I'm like, I can think of a dozen reasons why I really don't want to do that. Most of them being, everyone is now doing it like that. I'm no directors when looking at the tapes later in the day, they're going to pick the first person who doesn't put the L on their head and go loser. But now I'm fucked because I'm either going to be rude and not do what I was just directly told or 
I'm gonna do something I know is not gonna move this forward. And I still can't tell you how to solve that. I still can't tell you what to do when I get direction from a casting director that I don't feel is necessary. Now, they might know better than I do, but I might know better than they do. And I know these problems never come up when you meet with directors or producers. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, uh, on, on one hand, casting directors uh, can be highly effective in terms of finding someone or just like, you know, an idea of someone that the producers and directors haven't thought of. And that is, a, to me, is, is such, it's gold. You know, finding someone you never thought would work for this role, then the cast director's like, well, what about this person? And you're like, ah, oh, ah, oh, that's so smart. But then let it go from there. <laughs> there are a know, bunch. There are a bunch. Like Molly Finn it, or Meg Simon or geniuses. Jennifer Houston that are like, they have a knack for spotting talent. Like, yeah. you can drop them in Yankee Stadium and they'll pick the people in the crowd who are interesting on camera and they'll be right and you need them and they're artists that work with the directors and they have like a, some of them have a certain style. Like, you know, if you want a dark comedic actor, like go to them and they have that taste. Oh, yeah. That exists, absolutely, but they are very few and very rare and very hard to break into and have a roster of people that they like. But there's a whole bunch more that are not quite artists that are getting in the way. Very similar to the way I'm sure it is with actors. I'm sure there's a bunch of actors that agree with what I'm talking about and a bunch of others that would totally take advantage of my need for water. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I, I do. I think it's a, it's a feeling that um, there's a, a break in the line of communication. So the line of communication between um, how you're feeling about the character, how the cast and director's feeling about the character, and what the director or producer wants. I've heard you talk about this, I think, on this podcast. And it's very true, and I think it's very wise, and that's everyone in production's job, it seems to be, is to eliminate risk. That's really what they do. Exactly. Put anything that's been done or seen before in there. In every department and on screen, because it's been tested and tried and we know it works. So don't take a risk. And it trickles down to the casting directors, and that's why it's so hard for a new voice or a new comedic take to get through. Because loser with an L on your forehead has been defined as funny in this many films and this many TV shows, and we know that's a thing, so we do that. This person that comes in and tries to do something different, whether it's appropriate or not for this project, it's not appreciated. Interesting. Yeah. Do I just sound bitter and hostile? Is that what it sounds like? It feels like it sounds that way to me. You know, it, it does. It, it feels like uh, you've, you've seen this happen more than enough times to know that it's definitely an obstacle for a lot of actors that are trying to really bring their own element to a character and they're getting blocked. And it's frustrating. Like any institution that becomes very powerful, at some point they start causing the problem that they were there to help solve. Right, and a lot of it is because what's working, why, why fix something that's not broken? Mm -hmm. And so if they do have their go-to character choice, then every, they should filter every actor through that character choice to see who does it the best. Or because that's the director told them this, and so they're sticking to it, but directors change their minds. Yeah. Or they haven't seen this new thing before. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, I think a better process would be just, you know... When, a lot of times what happens now, it's just, you know, actors uh, will uh, do an at-home, what is it, the at-home tape? The uh, self-tape. The self-tape. Yep. The art of the self-tape. 
And I think just keeping that really raw and uh, letting the director have more of a voice in that stage than after, you know, usually like the casting director assumes we're all so busy that, you know, we're going to submit self-tapes, the casting director's going to review them all, then bring them in, the ones they like, and then put them, you know, on her tape with her or exactly. his or her voice, exactly. and then filter it again. But you know, filtering maybe, out everything that was interesting to begin with that brought them in there, but and maybe, making it more like everyone else. But maybe, yeah, maybe it would be helpful to just send those raw links out before they're even called in to the film to the filmmakers and let them decide who they're really, you know, kind of. I do like. that more and more now. Yeah, if, especially if it's a pre-read with a casting director, I'll choose to do it at home. Also because, let me ask you this, you ask anyone about acting and what is acting and one of the most common responses is, it's reacting, right? That's what they say. You're acting, it's reacting. Right. So then why do the casting directors read with you? I think it would be to the benefit of Of the actor. To have the casting director read with you? Why shouldn't it be anyone that's an actor and not someone who's actively judging you while you're trying to look at them. <laughs> like, it's a fair point. Any, I don't have an answer to that. No. I just think it's like, you know. I think what? it's because what you do is magic and it's not a process and they're just going to explode and I'm going to capture the explosion and bring it into the director and everyone's going to be so happy. No, if it's reacting, why don't you have us read with an actor or someone close to what it is in the scene? If it is reacting, if that's true, there is no baseball scout that's out there looking at a pitcher and going, okay, right before I sign you, I just want to hit with you a little bit. Right. They're like, why are you hitting with me? Why don't you have me hit with a professional baseball player? Right, it's like throwing softballs to a professional actor. It's like, of course, I'm just going to knock it out of the park. Or I won't even make it to the plate and it'll be on you to still hit it. Exactly. (laughs) Because I don't know if you've ever had a conversation of memorized dialogue with someone who is judging you while you're speaking to them. It's like being on a first date with material you can't change and have to just go with or something. That's a very uncomfortable experience. It is, and and I've been uh, in those shoes where I'm the one reading to an actor, whether it be on set or, like, you know, I've done it in a car before where Mm -hmm. we're driving to another location, and I feel so uncomfortable that I'm not giving them the emotion they need to really generate the output of emotion on their end. And I'm just like, oh my god, my dad's gonna die. And I'm like, that's so awful. I'm really sorry to hear that. Where do we go from here? And it's like, I, I feel like I'm just fucking it up. And so I can't imagine like being an actor and then reacting to like a casting director just reading off just these mundane lines. But truth and be they've told, been reading them all day. They've been reading them all day. But truth be told, that's the process of my next movie. It you know will likely happen as that process. You know. There's no reason to. Did you know that any actor in the world will come and sit there and be a reader for you for free? Absolutely. And they would be yeah. so happy to be there. And I've been lucky enough to get to do it. What the actor learns from being on that other side is so invaluable and will stay with them forever. You have no idea what it's like until you've watched an actor walk into a room and just... Never stop apologizing. Never stop handing over their power to whoever they're talking to. Never stop. You're like, everything is just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The first person that comes in that's an asshole and that doesn't care, they're like, oh, I love them. 
<laughs> you just feel this weight off your shoulder. Oh my God, thank God. Because they would just be like, yeah, just stand on the mark. Oh, okay, sorry. What are you apologizing for? You didn't know to stand there yet. Stop saying I'm sorry. Stop. Hey, we're hoping you solve our problem. Yeah. Like, we're rooting for you. Yeah. Especially if there's a reader there, because that's just making this easier. Like, now the casting director is just watching, which is what they should be doing, just watching. Yeah. What the hell made you think you should be reading with me? Why would you do that? You would not do that in any other department. You wouldn't be like... I mean, I don't even need to come up with an example. You understand. Let's have the PA come in and take a shot at rolling the camera. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you do that? Like, even the stand-ins that are for the camera people and the lighting people to block to and to, uh, you know, light to have been vetted. Because you wouldn't just take anyone that's randomly the same size and ask this DP to work with it. You respect what they do. So they vetted these stand-ins, made sure they have all the qualities that they want. They put them there so he can do that. There's more thought put into that to somebody who's never going to be on screen than the person reading with someone you hope will be the star of your show. Isn't it amazing what the assumption is? I mean, it's, it's unbelievable when, you know, I, I've never looked at it within this context. And this is a, you know, a really fascinating conversation in terms of like, you know, what, what the process, what the, what the reality is for an actor. It all stems back to this same thing, that what we do is not a process, there's no method, and it's just magic, stay out of the way. And I think if there's a little bit of magic in all of the departments, Absolutely. And That's the beauty of filmmaking is exactly. watching it all come together. Mm -hmm. And I think really what would be great to get out of today is how do we uh, become more inclusive with actors, you know, being part of the crew or part of the ensemble. How do we do that? It seems like from the very beginning, uh, there's, a, there's a better way to do it, uh, even from the audition process all the way through the production process. I think it's just on... I, I hate to repeat myself, but I think it's just understanding that it's a skill that you can work at. It's a muscle that you can work out and improve at, and it's no different than any other department, you know? And just treating it with the same way. It's not, you know, the sun can shine in a new, a unique way that hits the lens and causes this flare that made this whole scene just have this beautiful pop that no one planned for and is just magic, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's true in every department. It's not the only thing going on with an actor. So just stay out of the way and don't get in the way of the light. It's understanding that and treating them equally. And hopefully them and kind treating you equally. Yeah, I mean, and I think getting more um, feedback from an actor is always really valuable. I mean, I've always hesitated to have an actor come and take a look at their... Um, performance behind the monitor because it could be good, but they could be like, "Oh, I, I hate the light on this. You know, this angle is oh, terrible." Yeah. And you're like, "Fuck! Why did I do this? Why mm -hmm. did I show the actor this?" Like, and I think that's, that's something we could just fix in post. To every actor, and it's unique to every department, right? And I think that's something that's uh, a, a an issue with uh, with you know film sets in general is. Um, the experience from a previous project that you carry into this new project. And, you know, I think in our conversations, I've touched on it before, where in my position as a producer, you know, you can have this producer that before me 
didn't pay you, put you in terrible working environments, uh, doesn't respect what you do, wants a lot from you for a little pay, and then it's a terrible experience, and then I'm like, hey, you're available, let's work together, I think you're awesome, but I, I'm on there under this assumption that I'm also this producer that's like out to get them, or out to hustle them, or take advantage of their talent, and you know, they already have this preconceived notion of what a producer does, and I think that preconceived notion is cancerous to a production set because you can transfer that to any position, whether it be an actor or a director or even a, a PA who you know is constantly late or never does what they're going to say. I think you have to have a blank slate and give people the benefit of the doubt on any project you do. And I think you know actors, maybe more so than anyone, sort of suffer from that because um, the easiest thing to do is just stay away from them. Yep. And surely there's been enough monstrous actors that have exhibited awful behavior and all of these things that I'm mentioning where you're like, don't give them an inch because it's not worth it. Yeah. Where you start giving them water and then another actor's like, why didn't I get water? And then why didn't I get water? Now suddenly it's this whole battle about waters and there's all these plastic bottles on the set and we ruined Game of Thrones again. <laughs> like, this is what I'm saying. I'm sure of that. But we can't let the couple monsters in every department define the department and define how these jobs are handed out and how we're hiring and firing. And certainly taking that risk and being more inclusive, I think, would help cr not create these monsters. Because monsters are created when they're isolated right. and when they're put on their own. And when you're going around the horn and checking all the departments right before you roll and you're ne never checking on an actor, and if you do, it's like, what? Then... You've created a problem. Do you know what I mean? I think a basic or the actor's good or is this good? But I also think the, the I also think the actors are are worried to be the problem. They're so afraid that asking for water, even when their throat is dry and they're giving a monologue, and they have to cry in the scene, that they'll just go without it, and yeah. it'll affect the performance, and it'll affect the process, and you won't it won't be as good. I think you're so right. I think because I would have to stop production to ask for a water. I would, you know, everything would stop, and you as the producer, everyone would go, what just happened? Why we stopped? The actor said something. You'd go, what the fuck did they say? What did they want? They said, oh, now, now Adam wants a water. Right. Yeah. And this is, well, there is no other time. I've been strapped to this chair, and you've got the camera in my face, and I'm gonna, and now somebody has to come over with a straw. I don't know what to do. I'm just dehydrated <laughs> because I'm under hot lights. Right. You know? So just building it into the process just a little bit so it's not like this horrible diva behavior to need a water or if it's an emotional scene and you need a second. I mean, I've seen some of the greatest actors living, like not even given a second to get emotional before seeing, or if they demand it, they have to demand it. And everyone's like, Oh my God. Well, if the camera was going underwater, there'd be some prep time, right? This man's about to go underwater. He's about to start crying and bawling for the scene. He needs a minute. You know what I mean? I remember hearing once, it was in a documentary about that Oliver Stone football movie. And there's like, they're interviewing an AD, and you just hear in the background them saying, like, is light ready? Is camera ready? Wardrobe? Everybody ready? They're in place? Okay, bring in Mr. Pacino. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, I know he sounds like an asshole, but I can see why he does that. Because if he's blind in the scene or whatever it is, it's like, wait till all the stuff is ready, then bring in the emotion, the most volatile thing that we're capturing, and then let it go. And then let it go. Yeah. Yeah, it's that simple. Yeah. Yeah. Respect for what he does. You know, you wouldn't put the camera underwater first. You'd wait to do that last or whatever it is. Yeah. You'd weigh it into the process. Yeah. Just weighing it into the process and understanding that it's not going to... 
get out of control. It's not going to create monsters and divas. We're just trying to be on equal footing with everyone else. So let me ask you something. Is this something that you discuss with directors uh, or is this something that you're now kind of like opening up on this podcast with? Is this, you know... That's is this how question. Adam's been feeling the whole time and now you're saying something? Or is this something that you make a point on each project to say, how can I, you know, work out a relationship with you ahead of time so that we have a good dynamic going into it? Or is it not the case because of how things are done? I mean, it's something I've known for a long time, but it's not something I talk about. Yeah. It's something I talk about with other actors. I mean, that, but... you know, and that's one of those things where, like, as a producer... Uh, you know, or or from working with you, you know, one of the things we always say is like, God, that guy's such a pro. That guy comes in, does his thing, gets out, it's fucking gold. And, you know, and that was my, my big takeaway with working with you the first time was I think I walked outside, saw you, we had a conversation, and then went Internet Famous, and then you went in, did your thing, and then we wrapped the movie. It was awesome. But there wasn't really much to, like, working with you outside of the, those few moments. And the takeaway was like, gosh... Adam's such a pro, but it, for you, it's like you've taken. Now that I'm looking at it from your point of view, if I'm putting myself in your shoes, it's like you don't know what the role. No, you don't know the role is, but you're like you don't know what you're being asked for in this role. You're going to this location that you've never been to before, this crew that you've never met, and all those things create so many different variables. So you're doing your job that when you actually pull it off. Fuck yeah, you're a pro. That's how it's done. But I'm sure it's taken you years to really understand how to work within those variables. It's taken me years to not be insecure and to just... And this is something I learned a lot from um, YouTubers, is just trusting your own instinct on what you think is funny and what you think is dramatic and not caring what anyone else says or thinks or does or even wants you to do and just doing what you enjoy and just trusting that it'll be enough and you'll see it on the screen because I mean like that film you mentioned internet famous luckily that's a production where there are actors in directorial and production positions so they get a bit of what actors are going through and they understand that and if you cast well that seems to be the savior to all of it because then the actors were formed their own little family and yes. their own little community. And especially, I think it was Missy Pyle who was on that one, who I've been a fan of forever, always wanted to work with, never met her. It was like, oh, if she's here, then I get the kind of comedy that they want, and this is going to be great, because I would have cast her too. Certain actors, James Urbaniak's another one, or Kevin Corrigan, there's another one. Yeah. If they're there, I'm like, oh, okay, these people have good taste. I know what they like. They like what I like, and I'm just going to be comfortable and do what I want. But again, it's the actors forming that among themselves. And we bonded together outside of everyone else and formed our own little family. There was another job we did together with um, Ed Begley Jr. Oh, uh, Party Girl. Party Girl, where I, it was the end of the day and it was a reaction shot of me coming in. And it was, I think, the last shot of the oh, day. Oh, like the cake shot? Something like that. Yeah. And then there's four or five other actors there responding to it. They were off camera and Ed wouldn't leave. He had like his kids play or something. And I begged him to leave. I'm like, you're off camera. I don't need to look at actually you. Like, of course that would be amazing, but it is not necessary for this silent shot of me. Like, you don't need to be here. You can go home. And he's like, no, you're in the shot. You're looking at me. Even if I'm off camera, I'm going to be here. And it's like why he would choose to be so nice when it was not necessary. 
and he certainly doesn't know me or any of us anything but he understood we're in a family we're in this together we have nobody else if you're in the scene and I'm in it with you I'm going to be here you're not looking at a tennis ball with eyes you're not looking at some other actor you're going to look at me and I think we have to do that ourselves and it'd be nice to have a little help with that you know it sounds it sounds like the actors have that initially that we're in this together we're all we got you know, and, I, and Ed Bagley Jr. is just, like, one of the best pros I've ever worked with. I mean, fully prepared, always on time, great attitude, super professional, great to work with. Um, and so it makes sense that he, he would be that guy, you know. But, you know, outside of that, expanding into the general crew, I feel like it stops with the actor circle. It does. Yeah. It does. And I'd love to bridge that gap. Yeah. And, and what's, what's a good sort of scenario for you? Just creatively being friends with the crew members or having a having a say in, you know, you know what would be set up or as you said it, certainly not a say. Certainly not a say. <laughs> I yeah. <laughs> I remember with this whole uh Jesse Smollett thing that went down. Yeah. I remember somebody saying like this is why actors don't run scenes. It's too many props. It's too on the nose. It's way too But that's hysterical. <laughs> I would say not a say in it. But, especially on bigger productions, if the director could show you at Video Village, or even a producer or anybody, just show you what the shot is. Show you what they're getting. And tell you what they want. Like, I have to fight to find out what the coverage is. They ah. won't even tell you. They've just been, go again. And meanwhile, you've already gotten your close-up, and they've moved on to something else. And you don't even know. Like, I have to ask. And it becomes annoying to people. What, what footage is? What, what coverage are we getting? And then I'll find out, this is on you, type. Okay, thank you, that's wildly helpful to know. Wow. People don't tell you. Wow. And maybe they've learned in their experience, it's best to just keep them in the dark. We don't want them to get nervous when it's their close-up. Maybe it's best that they don't. Everyone has a process. But let us feel like we're a part of it. Right. Because you're also part of the filmmaking crew. I would like to believe. <laughs> I would. Yeah. It's not deceptive. It's not theater. Right. You're not standing in front of a, a, a you know, what is it, the imaginary wall. Yeah. And at performing. Yeah. There's more than an imaginary wall. It's a three-dimensional uh, uh, being that we have to capture. Yeah. Yeah. So just feeling like, like you've mentioned, you know, knowing why we're going again that it was light, or that it wasn't something we did, or that it was sound, or that it was performance-related, or... It, it's helpful. You, everyone else knows. Communication. Yeah. I think that's the key. I think, you know, uh, a lot of people, when they're, you know, new to this, they'll try to find ways to just uh, um, kind of cut corners, or do things quicker, or, or uh, not communicate their approach, but just... Uh, worry that God, I hope everyone shows up. <laughs> and if we do have everyone show up, then we only have a matter of time before we can do this. And and it's more about getting that shot than actually how we're going to get that shot. 100%. And so I think people are really racing to just get that shot, given that either we have it or we don't. And that fear of not having it sort of supersedes the, the how are we going to do that. And I think that's one of the things that um, I, I've been really lucky because I've kind of worked with the sim, same production team and a lot of the same cast are ensemble cast members from a lot of different movies. We kind of keep bringing them back. And, and that, that, you know, we say the family feel, but it's really this 
communication, the ability to communicate effectively, and that is what really saves you time. It's not hurrying up and doing it fast. It's when you're not filming, it's going out and having coffee or or doing a table read or having a rehearsal or really spending time understanding the story and the capabilities of the crew. Even sometimes the tone of the production, like Internet Famous is a, is a great example, like, what's the tone of this thing? You guys have been shooting for weeks. I'm coming in, and I don't even know what the comedy's like. Like, is it broad and over the top? Is it very real and dry? Like, what is it? Well, all I can do is what I think is funny and stick Yeah, because you just kind of showed up and no one... had a character and went with it. And, we, you know, I remember Gallagher, I don't think he changed much with what you did. I just think, you know... He tried to really highlight what you were doing and kind of went with that same character. I can tell you in terms of that production, I had no idea what I was going to do. <laughs> like, I had no idea what that guy was going to be like and what it was. And I remember reading it and being like, okay, I'm just going to have to put it down and figure it out when I get there. Because it's it's not clear to me and it's going to be based on these other people and what I'm That's seeing. That's a great example because in, in the script, it doesn't really, there's not really a character. You're just sort of like, you know, I'm going to say number two. Or, you know, I think uh, contestant number four. And it was very, like, sort of cut and dry yeah. in the script. But from that, you kind of read between the lines and built this character, this, you know, hyper-focused studio exec. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it was a great character, but it was a character that you sort of, you know, brought to the scene. I and just fell into it as it was happening. And you guys gave me the space and freedom and the comfort level to do it, you know? If I didn't feel comfortable, I might have done something that I was less proud of, but I know would be acceptable. That's a really good point. Uh, feeling comfortable, uh, you know, being able to explore different approaches. But similar thing, a benefit of working with the same people again. I knew you, and I knew Steve Green, and I knew Michael, and I knew Shane, and it was like, okay, I know what they think is funny. Like, we've joked around before. You I, got the vibe. And they'll you, trust me. Yeah, you can figure out the tone from yeah. the that group of people and again Missy Pyle's here so I know like <laughs> it's gonna be fucking funny exactly yeah and closer to the tone of what you guys wanted but that's the benefit of working with people because there is I respect but again it's been communicated ahead of time certain directors that are just like oh I cast well and then I leave them alone yeah I, I don't want to get involved and I don't need them wanting constant reassurance and I think that's fine and that's fair and I've been in that place before and it feels very free and I feel supported even if I haven't spoken to the director in days yeah. because they're clear about their process and this is how it goes. But then on the flip side, again, it fucking sucks because you're like, do I, did I have this is good? Did we get the shot? <laughs> well, in those instances when I know they're not effusive or they're not full of praise for anyone or anything that you're like, and somebody had to tell me this, though. They did. Somebody uh, said, um, I complained about a director it being like four or five days of shooting with them, and they hadn't said a word. And I had been like doing certain takes where I completely improvised the dialogue, and then takes where I'm reading completely what's on book, and I wasn't getting a response either way. And I called someone back home, and I was complaining about it, and they were like, well, you know what? On a production like that, if no one's saying anything to you, it means it's going great. Because if it wasn't going well, you're going to know. That's such bullshit. Really? I think so. I think so. I, I feel like, you know, you, you make music, and it's like when you're hitting the right beats, it feels good. You want to know that. But if, like, and you feel well, it. Well, how about that? When you're in the band, sorry, when you're in the band and you all play that great take, like, you all look at each other and you know. Exactly! But no one has to say, really nail that one, drummer boy. 
But there's no way for you to know. I mean, you could feel it yeah. and say we know it, but you don't look at the image on screen. Right. You look at the whole visual of like, wow, the scene is fucking brilliant. And, You're right. you know, I, I'm usually the cheerleader on sets like, Adam, that was awesome. We made that. And the director's like, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Adam, this is, this is actually great that you did that, but we'd like you to do it, you know, more of like... You just got fired from a job. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a director. I don't care. But yeah. But it's uh, it's a weird thing when everyone feels like it's great, but I feel like the actor doesn't really know for sure. You're right. They don't because they didn't see it. And they, they don't know it. what the camera caught. And they don't know that they just looked incredible by how they were framed or that something happened and it was just stunning. You have no idea you're in a bubble. No. And I guess, yeah, the PTSD of it all has led me to believe that uh, we should be able to just suck that up and it's a part of the process but no I mean sound knows when they got it yeah costumes know when they look good they get to see it on camera yeah camera knows if they got it or not the actor should be able to know I think so I think it's the director's job to really make the actor feel like they're they should know that they get something so that you can kind of move on from it and not let it linger in your head like is that gonna work and then later on how's that gonna affect the setup you said this once I remember hearing you say that um it must be, or you asked, it must be frustrating for an actor to do a scene four different ways and then hear, moving on. Because <laughs> right. you're just like, did they get it? Or did they settle? Or did they just cut me out of it? Or are they just like, like you just don't know if they got it because I'm amazing or they're moving on because I'm so bad. <laughs> They've just given up. Yeah, because that like, does happen. Yeah. You see, they're just like, fuck it. Let's we'll just find an over-the-shoulder shot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of really good directors that I've had the chance to work with are sort of editing the scene in their head so they know if they've gotten it, you know, within the first two takes. And then they'll say, let's try something else just for shits and giggles. And even though they know they have these two solid takes they're going to use, they want to say, oh, let's see what, this ha- what happens there. And then the actor's like, sure, I'll you know, give this sh- a shot, doing it this way. And then they're like, all right, great. That was, that was good, too. It's very freeing knowing they've already got it. Let's just try something but the, fun. But the thing is, they should let you know that. They should. <laughs> it's very It'd helpful. Be helpful. It is. Yeah. And you're right. They they would be clearer to a musician in the studio. Yeah. If they were like, here's the solo, lay it down. They're like, great, that was awesome. We got it. Now do one where you just do whatever you want. And <laughs> right. they would be like, great, here's my take on it. Blah, blah, blah. Here you go. Yeah. They, they, there was on Alter Carbon that you mentioned, there was a, a director that called me over to Video Village in the middle of shooting and showed me a shot from the previous day that I was in and said, look at the perspective. Like, just, they were shooting from above. Yeah. Like, very high up. And I got to see what that looked like, and he showed me a bit of the scene just to give me an idea of the world they were building, so I could bring that in the next scene. I was like, "Wow, that was really helpful. That was that broke that bubble." Now I don't feel like I'm just like screaming in a void. Now I see what you're doing. I see how stylized it is. I see the world, and I feel like I'm a part of it. That's the answer. It's just where you can understand the context of the scene. And I feel like I'm advocating this more than you are now. <laughs> and then cut to like my next movie where I'm like, he's got it, he's got it, just get him in there, we'll be fine. Well, it, it was... We it'll, we'll save $1,000 not doing a table reading, it's, we don't oh, need it. Oh, yeah. Save money. It was Alder yeah. Carbon that um, the first scene we shot, um, that I shot with them, I mentioned, um, uh, I, I said the dialogue and in the middle of it, they just yelled, cut! What happened? Someone comes running over from a mile away, and they they whispered in my ear. They said, "It's Oni." I said, "What?" They said, "It's Oni." I go, "What's Oni?" They go, "You said Ani. The word is Oni." And I thought, "Okay, got it. Thanks." But I thought to myself, "How the fuck would I know?" 
You made this word up. I've never heard it spoken. It's a made-up word from your alien language. How would I know? No one thought to tell me. And it kind of looked like the mistake was on me, and I felt really bad because I said the wrong line. But no, how would I know? There's not even an audiobook to find out. It's only I've never heard anyone say it. But, it, and it did look like it was on me. I was like, oh, first take, didn't, didn't get that one right. Oh, jeez. Like, come God, on, guys. How, how would I know? How would you know? What is, how would I find out? I did, I thought it was Ani. <laughs> That's how I pronounced it. I like Ani DeFranco. I went with that. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, talk to me about some of your uh, experiences, you know, like uh, on a bigger project versus a smaller project. You know, do you spend more time, you know, hanging out on the set on a small project, probably because there's no trailer, uh, as opposed to a bigger set where they're, you know, you have a trailer, you just kind of get whisked off to the trailer. Do you do you try to, uh, you know, do the same process, no matter big or small, each time in terms of getting to know people on set? I'm the same. Um, I can certainly say camaraderie doesn't, it comes in small productions and it comes in larger productions and it's all random and usually the tone is set by the director and whoever is number one on the call sheet and whatever level of production that is based on their attitudes and how they run things is what the mood is on the set. That makes total sense. I think that's the same thing for, for me also. I think the director really sets the tone. There's an actor I know who's recently number one on a call sheet for the first time and I said to him, wow. You're going to get to set the tone. And he said, no, 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 they got like writers and it's a whole like comedic thing. I was like, no, not the tone of the script. The tone of the whole crew is set by you. Don't you understand? Like you're number one. If you're in a good mood, everyone's in a good mood. Totally. If you're in a bad mood, everyone's in a bad mood. If you start complaining about something involving uh, your world as an actor, then if I'm an actor on set with you, I'm going to start looking at my world. Maybe he has a point. Maybe I should start. Like what's going on? Everyone wants... To please the people they believe have a vision. Yeah. They want to believe they have one. And your mood and how you treat people is going to trickle down. So it's a big responsibility. And it transcends any amount of money or, or size of production, those things. Oh, 100%. It's, uh, it's another form of cancer if uh, you're, you've got the number one on the call sheet and he's telling the other actors, like, or she's telling the other actors, like, God, this fucking movie sucks. This is so stupid. I'm not getting paid enough. How much are you getting paid? Yeah, I'm making more than you, but that's, you're not, I'm not making anything. You're not making anything. And now all of a sudden, everyone has this, like, really bad attitude. And you're like, fuck. As, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of like, how do I break this up? How do I turn this around? But there really isn't a way to do that. Once the key talent kind of agree that, like, this movie sucks, it's a money job that, you know, I really hate. It's really difficult to get that camaraderie back. And so, um, you know, I think treating key talent like gold is a reason for that so that they don't have a bad time because then it changes the whole tone of the movie. And then it affects the crew also because they're like, now we're serving Lord Asshole, lighting Lord Asshole, and... Um, Getting lights run, power run to Lord Asso's trailer, and I don't want to do that. And so then they talk about how much of a dick that person is. And and to me, the bottom line is um, brain bandwidth. I want to have 
you know, the bandwidth of the crew, the cast, 100% focused on making great art and not, oh, you know, thinking of these, like, you know, ancillary bullshit, you know, emotions that uh, can stir up when um, a bad attitude sort of spreads across the crew. You know, I don't know how to control that. I just, you know, try to work with people that um, are generally positive or generally excited to be part of it because if they're not, then it's really going to be a detriment to the crew in the, in the long run. You know, maybe not the first day, but 10 days into it. <laughs> the first film I ever worked on was called The Professional. And I remember I was there for like a week or two at the smallest part in the film. But the director, Luc Besson, came up to me on the first day and he pulled me aside and he gave me an entire backstory to my character that made me feel like the entire film was about me. <laughs> like the entire film was about this young orphan boy who didn't have parents but that was taken in by Danny Aiello's character and he worked hits for him and he used to hand in the back and you have mixed feelings about Danny Aiello and he's a father figure to you but you know what you're doing is wrong like he's talking to me I don't think I had any lines in this film and he's talking to me like it's my film so even though I'm doing this tiny little role I feel so empowered and so important and I got all this stuff to wrap my mind around other than you know gossip and garbage and I had, you know, the, the smallest trailer you can possibly have, those little slits that are like... Oh, yeah, the one-eighth of a... Right, yeah. where you're one-eighth of a room and yeah. you can't stretch your feet out all the way and sit at the same time. You Fold to, the table down. Yeah, yeah, you have to put your legs up like that. On the toilet. But the number one on the call sheet, Jean Reno, had the same trailer. And this was when Gary Oldman and Daniela had those star wagons. Right. And I remember thinking, oh, he's okay with it. So I'm okay with it. They're movie stars. I didn't know who Jean Reno is at the time. And it was like, he was fine with it. I was fine with it. Everyone was made to feel like they had the best role and that they were serving a purpose and that they were serving this vision and the director was so key on just making us all feel included and letting us feel a part of the process. I remember they tried to film a cops showing up to this Italian restaurant and real cops actually showed up to the block for a separate actual crime that was happening. So the fake cars and the cop cars all came at the same time. Wow. No one knew what was happening. <laughs> but you didn't feel like, oh, we're going to die or oh, we're drowning. What's happening? Because the director is like letting you know what's happening and he's from France and never been to New York. And he's like, this is insane. And we're all in it together. You're experiencing this, this together. Yeah. yeah. They served champagne. They had someone come and give champagne out to everyone because it was like this is the time we drink champagne and this is, we might as well. Yeah. It was like somebody just ran to a store and got a cheap bottle and just handed it out. It wasn't a big thing. But I, that was my first film and I was very spoiled and was led to believe like, oh, this is what it's going to be like everywhere. I'm going to show up even to have no lines and they're going to be like, here's your character's whole arc. And <laughs> I don't think it's ever been like that since. But I, I like how they do that. Yeah. And I don't know if it's a French come on thing or I don't know if it's just him or I don't know if it's... Well, it sounds like he... Uh... According to what you're saying, was it was kind of favored nations with a lot of the actors in terms of like set accommodations, and uh, usually that that makes a big difference because uh, I'll give you an example uh, from like, the second movie I did that was like I guess more of a budget than anything I'd worked on previously, but we didn't do trailers. Um, we had a house that we were renting out in Tarzana. And the uh, house was just disgusting. I mean, it was super gross. Never been clean. Had animals in it. And we put the cast, each one, in like a different room. And it was like, 
but the whole this whole family lived in this house. It was like this really like old man with this you know stinky room. We'd put the star in that room, and you know after three or four days of filming there, they were really pissed off. They were like, "This is fucking bullshit. You're putting us in these awful rooms that it's so professional." And so you know, I kind of looked at the budget after, and we, I knew we were going to that location. So I'm like, "All right, I'm gonna get you guys a trailer. I'm gonna surprise them with a trailer." And it's gonna be great. They're gonna be so happy, and it worked like a charm. And uh, so we got a trailer for the four actors that were really, really pissed off, and I just want to make them happy. And Shane Dawson was the lead of the movie, and he's, you know, he wasn't on it for that week, but he's super cool. You know, when he came to set, he kind of sat with the background. I got to be friends with him, and this whole time I'm like, what a great guy. He just doesn't even care about, like, a trailer or whatever. He's so above that. I mean, that's what, that's, he's so, like, film-friendly. And uh, so we put him in a bedroom in the house and put the other actors uh, in the trailer. And so I thought it all worked great. He seemed happy. They were, the actors that were complaining were finally happy. And I felt, well, this is, you know, a good dynamic. Does this end with Shane wanting to be in the trailer with all of them? This ends up with me reading his book saying, like, I was so devastated when all the actors had a trailer but me. <laughs> and it was the producer who said, I didn't get you a trailer. And he's like, I am the star of the movie. And he was nice enough not to, you know, complain to me. But how he really felt wasn't conveyed until I read his book and realized, wow, what an, I'm such an asshole. <laughs> I didn't, I should have treated him like the star he was and at least treated him equal instead of assuming that he was cool enough to forego or that he would prefer to be separated from his fellow actors and not just in it with them all because I think that's a great move I think having one trailer for all the actors at every level it's great I don't think you need your own dressing room but it is helpful like if sound has a cart to hold their gear I think it's helpful for an actor to have a place to change to put their stuff and to work on their emotions or whatever it is privately not standing on the crew standing on the set where you're getting in people's way or just being annoying. Absolutely. And I think one designated anything just for them to go and not have to worry about their phone and shit is great. And that's all anyone needs. And yeah. I feel like the actors would benefit from their time spent together. Yeah. And the number one and the number 50 should all be mixing together. I think it also gets convoluted when you're making actor deals because, you know, uh, you have agents that are trying to get everything for their clients and you have uh, the reality of who their clients are. And it's like, you know, I can afford them to... I can afford to have them, but everything they're asking for is so difficult for us to pull off at this budget level. Um, and it would be so helpful in a perfect world if we could have a conversation of saying, well, what do you, what do you need to really do this? Can because you separate an agent from their actor when you're negotiating? No. Yeah, see, that's rough. That's rough. Because they have no, the actors have no idea what they the no are saying. And they're not arguing for what's actually most important. It happens so many times where an actor, we have a car service come and pick them up. They come to set and they come to me later today like, you know, I could, I could have just driven the set. I live literally like five minutes away. It's not a big deal. And you're like, oh, I, I thought it was like, and, you know, with the agent, it was like this huge thing of like, they had to be driven to set. And then you realize they don't really give a shit about that. Mm -hmm. and I, but, but, I, but I would love to spend that money, that, you know, 400 bucks we spent on the Uber, on using that to, you know, for like a week's worth of Ubering or two weeks of Ubering into like maybe giving them, you know, something that they would rather have for that $400, like allocate it towards something that could be a benefit or a better resource for them. 
My guess is that um, there was no budging on whatever the salary was. And when the agent feels like they're being underpaid, they're just trying to make it up every single way they can. Not realizing, and I don't know where this process can be fixed, but I know it's true. Like actors just want to be paid and they're so often given like gifts or props or certificates or just things other than a salary for your job. Because again, it's just some magic thing. So you'll work on like a short film and somebody will pay you in like some jewelry gift. And you're like, I would have really appreciated the money. <laughs> like, even if it's 200 bucks, yeah, like yeah. I feel like I got paid for my job that got I did Got paid today. for your job. Because you wouldn't like give the sound guy a Victoria's Secret gift or, uh, you know, a Tiffany's jewelry. You wouldn't give that. Target gift card. Yeah, you'd yeah. be like, here, sorry it's so low, but here's the money for the job you did. <laughs> like, thank you, I knew that going in. I want to act every day. Not every day is a big payday. But I'd like to feel like I'm getting paid for my services. Right. And I feel like You're that performing actor, it, and it's a, it's, it's a huge service. I mean, that service is everything. That's they, the reason for everyone. So if you're going to have someone work for free, you're going to get what you pay for. Yeah. At least that's what I think. Yeah. You know, or I've learned that the hard way. Haven't you seen stuff where it's like a first class flight but no salary? And you're like, this flight was thousands of dollars. <laughs> they so would have appreciated a coach sheet and a salary. Yeah. Like, people just... And then they pay you scale. And you're like, what the fuck? That's another thing. You're yeah. arguing about... Yeah, you're arguing about, can we get 10 over scale? 10%? Can you just... Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But here's your business class flight. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh my God. Why am you know? Because they have a deal with the airlines. I don't know why. It's like per sag or whatever. Yeah. But yes, yeah. these middle people, these agents that you're talking about, negotiating for things that the actor doesn't want or need, that they don't even know or is happening on their behalf, and that you're not separating from them when you see them on set the first day. You're like, oh, that's the guy who needed the fucking helicopter. <laughs> and he's like, I didn't know. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah. That's what's amazing to me is I would have much rather spent that on something you wanted than something you don't want, than something your agent negotiated into the deal. It's a specific story I keep referencing where a friend of mine produced a short film where everyone worked for free, and at the end they were like, I want to get the actress like a gift for, you know, just doing a rap gift because she didn't get paid, you know, when you show me things online from Tiffany's. I thought to myself, I know they would appreciate the money. Like, whatever you're about to spend on this gift I know you should just give them the money it's not rude it's not offensive even if it's a little it's much more appreciated than some jewelry that they don't need or want and that's a that's another uh, great honest answer because so many people probably myself thinks they're doing something like such a mitzvah or, or the right thing by giving a gift card or like I'm gonna you know like they were so good I'm just gonna give them something nice but Pay them. Everybody loves Shoot cash. Shoot them like a pro. Everyone loves cash. And it's not magic. They did a service. Pay them for the service. That's it. it That's it. They don't have to get a million dollars. You just want to feel like you were paid for your day. Let and me ask you something. Do you think it's because people aren't speaking up? Because, you know, a lot of crew guys or crew people are, are pretty tough. You know, they're like, if you want to use my camera, you want me to come in, this is how much you need to pay me. It's but with an actor, it's like, oh my God, you're, you're casting me. I'm so excited. I don't want to lose that opportunity. I'm just not going to say anything. Instead of saying, well, if you want to hire me, pay me what I'm worth. And then, is there a fear involved with losing the role? Exactly. Yeah. Everything you just said is exactly what it is. And especially in Los Angeles and Hollywood, where even from the pre-read audition process on, there is a hundred people that would kill to just get that opportunity you have right there. If there's anything going on with this person we don't like, just fucking get rid of them and bring in somebody else. 
Yeah. And if any part of this process, they are deemed difficult or too, can't afford them or whatever it is, just get rid of them. There's too many other people. If I say something to the casting director, like, I don't want to say loser. They're like, well, then get out of here because there's a hundred more people that'll do exactly what I say and not make me feel bad. That's the, that's the, the rub. Yeah. Is the people that will say yes to it. Everyone will. Yeah. Because of the nature of what's happening here. You know, there are, um, after 9-11, they stopped letting a lot of actors in the process drive on to lots, and to yeah. studios and stages. So there are certain lots and stages here where you have to park miles away. And you have to walk so far, by the time you get into the lot and then through, you know, going through a lot is like going through Disneyland. Right. You need a map. You need a map, and it's far. And it's up and it's down. And a lot of these are for auditions where they say things like, women must be in skirt and heels. And now you're making them walk for miles before they get to this audition where you want them to seem cool and confident and relaxed. Some of these casting offices in these lots have towels left on hangers because so many of the men that come in in suits are sweating. My God. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't know if the towel is the solution to this problem. There was um, <laughs> an audition I went to once, and across from where I was auditioning was at one of those old buildings on Wilshire, and they were casting a commercial across from me. And I could tell that what they asked for was girls in short skirts and high heels because there was a line of like 50 all in the same kind of high heels and dresses, standing in a line in this building outside of this office because the office could hold like four people. Right. And there was like 50. And they're all in a line and they're all standing going back and forth on their heels. And I just couldn't believe the disrespect given to these people. Like, you asked them to wear this. You want them to be comfortable when they come in to read. What makes you think walking for miles and then standing in heels before you go read for camera is going to help you get the performance that you want? This is not diva stuff. This is like, we treat animals better. And I know that because I was so frustrated that I went into that office and it was just a kid behind the desk who did not deserve my attitude. <laughs> what well, was walking in? But I came in and I just said, hey, I'm sorry, um... I'm not here for this. I'm across the hall, but I, I said I'm casting a commercial where I need to pair up dogs and an owner. I want to mix and match. Can you guys provide for that? And the kid said, oh, absolutely. We do dog auditions all the time. We, you know, when we have dogs come in, we set up little bowls of water. We put these little pads. And he showed me, like, in a closet where they had all this stuff. So we are fully equipped to deal with dogs. And when they come, I'm like, oh, okay. So then why didn't you put out any chairs? For these women that you asked to come at the same time and stand in a row in heels. Because you told me if you had dogs coming, you would have done some prep work. But you're asking all of these women to come in this outfit and it doesn't even occur to you to get some fucking folding chairs? The kid looked at me like, I'm not in charge of this stuff, please. Don't and I realized what an asshole I was being and I left. But he made my point. Yeah. Which was, you would prepare for animals coming in. Why are these women not given the respect? Why are all of us? It's not because the actor deserves respect. It just makes your performance better. It makes what you're looking for better. If we're relaxed and hydrated and somewhat comfortable. Yeah. I just think people are... Um, 
you know, you look at these signs, like there's uh, that, that casting office on La Brea, back in my, my commercial acting days. And I collect pictures of these signs. Yeah. Say, there's the Petco building, like, no actor parking or, you know, um, get away filthy actors. I want to do a coffee here. table book of that. Oh, there's a bathroom that says no actors. Yeah. And I'm always thinking to myself, whenever I see these signs... You invited me here. This was your idea. And you wouldn't do it to any other department. I think Why? The, I think there's a culture, uh, you know, there's a thought of like actors as like these um it's what you said it's because we take it. It's because you take it. Yeah. It's because we take it. Yeah. Because we're led to believe that we're lesser than and we're led to believe that what we do is just a magic and it's not a skill. And you and someone else can can also do it. Yeah, so someone else will just be it. happy. And they're right. But it's, you know, Yes, when you're an actor on top, none of these things matter, and it's the opposite. Now it, you can be out of control, and the danger is to be out of control. And I think so many have been out of control that they're just like, we're going to nip this in the butt. But like everything else in society, that middle class has disappeared, and now it's just chum at the bottom and A-list at the top, and there's no in between, and you're one or the other. No, especially all the huge stars now doing TV, and it's just like, and really that, that separation is even, that divide is so great now. And those actors at the top are gold. And the mm -hmm. ones at the bottom are trying to make it. Well, what about the ones in between? What about the entire the middle actors. class? Yeah. Where, where are they defined? And I think that they, they go into the everyone's still trying to make it, which is a shame. Because a lot of these guys are people that have been working for 20 years that you know have ups and downs in their career and um, should be treated like everyone else. And I feel like this is the part that's the same in every industry. It's the same sure. middle class everywhere in sure. terms of that shrinkage. That, yeah, the corporate divide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it goes back again to not only treating actors um, as the component to being the magical component to a film set, but creating an environment for them to actually be respected and feel like they're contributing this magic and not being put in a cage and taken out and doing the magic and going back in the cage. <laughs> that, what you said, though, was a very um, high compliment for me, and it is what I strive for when you said, oh, that guy's a pro. Yeah. It's, that's because you would say that to any member of the crew, and they would be like, thank you. Yeah. Not, you're beautiful, or you're a, you're charming, or you're a... You'd just be like, you're a pro. Like, you're good at what you do. Yeah. That's all... I promise you that's all any actor wants to hear. One of the greatest uh, moments of my career um, was watching Karen Black, who, who came in for an audition at, uh, I forgot that cast space, that was like the, the free cast space. And I know what you're talking about, La Cienega or La Brea? Uh, somewhere around there, yeah. But, uh, but, you know, somewhere like an Oscar-nominated actress would not be. <laughs> but she, it was some guy who kills people, and she came in. And she did this thing when she sat down where she just sort of like was loosening her body, had her eyes closed, and it was like almost like tuning a guitar. And the voice and the character and the person she was before, you know, the camera started rolling, it just was just like this, uh, this metamorphosis of just like she just lived this, this new character and like it happened in the audition room. And I'm like, Wow, I felt like you know I've never been that captivated in an audition before, and it was just like this defining moment in my career of like that's real performances, you know. And I'm I'm willing to bet that that moment that she took was not built into your process. She had to insist on it and force it in. There was not a uh, take a couple minutes and whenever you're ready. 
Normally it's go. Right. And this is from the great cast. But that's the, that, that's the exact point. And if it was like, that, okay, go. And she didn't go. Nope. She just closed her eyes. She did some body movement. And then when she was ready, she opened her eyes and she was a new person. Yep. And it was transformational. See, she had to force that in there. And I bet a lot of people in the past had been like, what the fuck is she doing? I was like, like I that. said, go, just go. Why aren't you just hopping to it? She was the only actor I've ever seen do that. Because it, there's a guitar that needs to be tuned. There's a lens that needs to be focused. There's makeup that needs to settle. And that it's was no huge, different. It was a huge lesson to me that that what an instrument her body is. And you know, I think I took an acting class when the acting was like, your sensitivity is your instrument. And you know, I thought that really had a lot of merit behind it. And you know, you need to have the right tools to you know. Keeping that sensitivity alive is the exact opposite skill you need to navigate the business and audition process. Yes. So they're at odds with each other. And one wins. And one wins. That's And a, usually that's a great it's not point. the good work that wins. Right. Because keeping that sensitivity level while people are going, go. Yeah. Is hard. And insisting on taking that moment when the person is just kind of looking at you like, what are they doing? They're crazy. Oh, they're, they're crazy. Yeah. I've heard... Uh, they must be on drugs doing all this weird stuff. I've heard people that were going into audition for a character that was on drugs and having a freak out be told they seemed unstable. <laughs> and not, like, in a good way. And it was like, well, what did you think you were going to get walking in there? Like, isn't that what you would want? Like, they know what they're doing. They're not really crazy and on drugs. But they... They knew they weren't going to get that moment, so they did it beforehand, and they came in ready to go. And you're like, oh, they're crazy. <laughs> I mean, no, it's, it's, it's a it's, process. It's the process. Yeah. And you have to uh, have everyone understand that. Because if you have a filmmaker who doesn't understand that process, then you you're ultimately disrespecting the process because you're not giving the actor a chance to really uh, fulfill the um, character objectives. You know? And if they need a minute, it's not the end of the world. Maybe it should be built into the process that you check in with them. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that, and this kind of goes back to the, the rudimentary elements of like a film production, of just like meeting with the crew beforehand. It's, it would be so crucial, so helpful to meet with the actors beforehand and talk about you know, their approach towards the characters, what their expectations should be when they're getting on set. Maybe it's not like, you know, hey, we, we don't have a, a trailer for you, and, you know, we're, the food is really bad. It's no money, but it's a great character, great story, and I'm so thankful for you to be involved. How can we make it better for you, knowing that, like, it's going to be a shitty situation without you getting pissed and walking off? Right, and you're just <laughs> dropping them off in it and hoping that they don't say it. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Just hope no one says anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 100%. Well, hopefully we changed some minds and um, bridged some gaps and um, brought any crew people that are listening to this or any actors um, on the similar footing. Similar so footing. All, that's all we're trying to accomplish. No one's better or greater than the other. Everyone should have to punch in a time card. From all, number one on the call sheet to the craft person. Everyone should have to punch in the same time card at the same time. And no matter big or small, feel like you're getting the most out of it that you possibly want to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And don't feel limited. And, uh, and if you're out there, crew members, take your time, get to really know the actors. Don't be afraid of them and, and really understand what their needs are and how to really give them the support or part of the support they need to do the best job. And, you know, albeit there's not a lot of time to make movies, but 
carve out the necessary time to do it the right way the first time. And at the same time, let the actors understand that they are but a part of this process. They are not the most important or the least important. They are and just pretty, a part of it. And pretty soon, AI is just going to take over all of us, so it doesn't really matter. Fingers crossed. <laughs> well, thank you again, Adam. I, I'm so glad we got to do this, uh, this show together. And I'm so glad that you came in and, um, you know, really, uh, actors are crew members, and I think that's the the theme of today's show, certainly the, the topic of today's show, but really living that is the goal, and certainly, you know, it was a great lesson for me to really understand the uh, the needs of, of talent, and I'm so brave of you to just open up and share your thoughts about this, because hopefully that this kind of creates a, a new relationship or an elevated relationship between crew and cast. Mostly what will probably come visit will just hurt my career and create a lot of bitterness from other people. That play, but <laughs> yeah. I'm willing to take those blows. Well, thank you guys again. This is another episode of Tales from the Crew.